Last Sunday we were together, we talked about three things that can take you out of being synced with God. And we looked at one particular story. We don't need those anymore. We were having to read and do all sorts of stuff, which I don't have to do now. <laughs> there are three things that you can be synced to. One, of course, is God. When we get synced with God, then what God wants, we want. What God says, we hear. We're just, we're just synced that way. And Jesus Christ operated His life 100% synced with God the whole time. Other things would come along and try and get Him unsynced, but He stayed synced with God. And we spent some time taking a look at a particular story in which the children of Israel, the 12 spies, went off into the land. And they were synced with God when they, when they went, but things happened that caused them to become unsynced and they didn't even know it. Ten of them became unsynced. Only two of them were in sync with God. Two of them spoke the plan of God. Ten of them spoke a plan different, contrary to what God said. And it's so easy for us that we can have things in this world take us in a direction where we no longer talk what God has said, but we talk what we feel, we talk what the world tells us, and we have become out of sync with God. And the reason that our life is not yielding the things that we want it to yield is because of this. We are out of sync. And so... We spent one week on that last week. One is on it here. And this time we're going to be spending some time looking at what takes us out. There are some specific things that will take you out of being synced with God. And we need to be on guard against those things. But I want to review for you what we did last week on Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. We spent time on that second half of that verse. Abhor... What is evil? That word abhor is to mean to utterly detest. We use the example of the spider. That for some people, it's not con- you're not content to be away from the spider. You want to be out of the room or you want that spider dead. You detest spiders. You do not even like that the spider is anywhere near you. You don't care whether the spider is dead or alive. That spider needs to be extinguished, removed, and taken out. That's what the word abhor means. It means to so utterly detest that you cannot stand to be in the same room with the thing. He says, abhor what is evil. Evil, of course, is those things that by the definition here, and going back to the Greek word, not just the English word, but anything that is full of destruction, disaster, harm, or danger. And God's word has, has labeled certain things in our life that are destructive, that will bring harm, that are filled with disaster. And he warns us in the word, stay away from these things. Don't get near this. This will hurt you. This will harm you. And he wants us to be so turned on to what he said in the word that we abhor those things he says that are evil. He then also said, cling to what is good. The word there to to cling means to be glued to, to become cemented to. It talks about a permanent bond. Get away from this, but get yourself so that the, the bond is not just temporary, it is permanent. Those things that are good, and this is good in effect, good in the results, it has a benefit in your life. The three things we become synced with, of course, one is God. The second one is our flesh nature. And the third is the kingdom of Satan. Not just Satan himself. We're just talking about the, the, the kingdom of Satan. Those are the three things you can become synced with. And we saw examples with Peter where he was in sync with God. He got revelation knowledge. Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. He was in sync to get that revelation from God. But then in the same chapter... He comes up later on and he pulls Jesus aside aside and he says, you should not be teaching on these things. And he says to him, get behind me, Satan. He had stopped being in sync with the Spirit of God and he became in sync with the kingdom of Satan, speaking and doing the things that Satan wanted and he still thought he was in sync with God. This is how detrimental it can be. This is how subtle it can be. And we have to make sure that we are in guard about those things. We showed, gave you some signs of being out of sync last week in three areas. First off, in our actions. Secondly, in our attitudes. And third, in our agendas. We gave you three areas. Now, we're not going to review all of that again. If you want, go up online. It's all free. You can just download it, listen to it, and you can even go on the YouTube or the Facebook page and watch it if you want to. It's all there for you. won't cost you anything. As Brother Keith Moore always says, no cost means... So you guys don't listen to him enough. He's one of my favorite ones to listen to. No cost means no excuse. I like that one. No cost means no excuse. We can get there if we want to. Numbers chapter 11, if you'll turn over there with me. 
there are several things that can take you out of being in sync. And I want you to be able to recognize them when they come into your life. Because if you can recognize them, you don't even have to wonder, am I out of sync? If you see this happen in your life, you will know without a shadow of a doubt, I am out of sync with God. Wouldn't that be great? That if this happens in your life, I know if this happened in my life, I am out of sync with God. No, no question about it. This is it. So, we're going to give you several things. We're going to spend some time on it here this week and next week. We're going, to, we're going to take on two of them here this week. Here's the first one in Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. Now, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of them in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses. When Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of the place Tabera, because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. So here's the first thing. When this happens in your life, you are out of sync with God. You cannot do this and be in sync with God. You cannot do it. Don't give me, yeah, but. Because you can't, I cannot do it. You cannot do it. We cannot do this and say, I am in sync with God. You ready for it? Complain about. If you are complaining about stuff, you are out of sync with God. Out of sync. And notice here in the scripture, now when the people complained, what did they complain about? Doesn't say, does it? It makes no difference what you complained about. Yeah, but you don't know my husband. You don't know my kids. You don't know my wife. You don't know my neighbors. You don't know my boss. You don't know my co-workers. If you knew my co-workers, you would understand. It does not even say what they complained about. Because as far as God is concerned, if we are complaining, I'll give it to you this way. If I'm complaining, I'm not rejoicing. And how, how often does the Word of God say you should rejoice? <laughs> See, we all know that, but we don't always do it. <laughs> Isn't it tough when your revelation doesn't, doesn't line up with your um, occupation? I know I should be doing that, but I'm not. <laughs> we got to get our revelation to line up with our occupation. We got to be doing, being occupied with the things that the Word of God says to be occupied with. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. And in case you didn't get it in the first one, he then says, and again, I say rejoice. In other words, get this. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's, that's in the Word of God. That's what we need to do. And if I am complaining, what do I have to stop doing? I have to stop rejoicing. I cannot rejoice and complain. You cannot do it. It won't work. So the people complain. We don't know what about. Now notice it's the people. It's not Moses. Moses is not one of the ones I uh, spotted for complaining. It's the people. It says the people. Now it's it's not Moses. It's probably not Joshua and Caleb. They don't seem to be the complaining type. But we're not told who. We're not told what. It would seem that that's not important. The important thing is they complained. And God got mad at them. Aren't you glad God does not get mad at you every time you complain? Now they complained on a large scale basis and it had been frequent and often and whatever other word you want to put in there. They've been doing this. And it says the Lord anger, anger was aroused. Now think about this. If you've had little kids or you've been around little kids, when they do something irritating once, It doesn't get your anger aroused, does it? When they do it twice, three times, four times, five times, six times. That's, uh, that can get you kind of going a little, a little bit. How many have ever seen the movie Minions? How many have never seen Minions? You see, y'all need to get some kids in your life. <laughs> get some kids in your life. It gives you a good reason to go out there and to watch some of these, uh, 
these ones. Minions was funny. I enjoyed Minions. But, you know, I have a granddaughter, grandson. We can sit and watch. And nobody looks funny at you. You're sitting there watching them with your grandkids. If I sat there and watched them by myself, people would probably look at me. Hmm. But you got the grandkids there. You know, you're watching it for, the, for them. But um, I love the one little scene where the, the cutest of, of the three girls, there's this one just just adorable. She just talks and she's adorable. I don't even remember. What was her name? Mandy, you're taking her. What, do you remember her name? I don't remember it either. So <laughs> I've seen it a few times. Whatever her name was. Uh, she, they, the kids were given an instruction. No more annoying noises. And so she started making a noise that no one has the need to make ever. She starts making this noise. And uh, her comment is, does this count as annoying? <laughs> you see, if you tell them, don't do anything annoying, they're going to find, well, is this annoying? Is this annoying? Is this annoying? <laughs> Just kind of open yourself up for that. Well, they have been doing this quite a few times, uh, complaining and doing things. And finally, God just got angry. It aroused the anger of God. And so fire broke out and burned some of them on the outskirts of the camp. Why? I don't know. On the outskirts of the camp, I pondered on this, thought about this, and the only thing I can come up with is if he did it in the camp, a lot more people would be dead. He did it on the outside. Outside of that, I don't know. We'll have to wait to get to heaven to find out. So the people cried out to Moses. In other words, they stopped complaining and they pleaded, hey, have mercy on us. So Moses prayed and the fire stopped. Here's the first thing that you know if you are engaged in this, you are out of sync with God. Complaining. Now we can, you can think of other stories in the Word of God where people complain, can't you? We all know there's people after people after people in the Word of God, especially with Israel in the Old Testament. It seemed they complained no matter what. They complained at the Red Sea that there was too much water. They complained on the other side of the Red Sea that there was not enough water. They complained because the water was bitter. No matter what kind of water they had or didn't have, they found a reason to complain about it. Well, that's kind of like us too. I can usually turn that way without setting that off, but I'm not sure why we're why it's uh, setting it off here now. So I will try not to do that either. Numbers chapter 11, verse 4. Now the mixed multitude who were among them muted to intense craving, so the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? Now it says a mixed multitude. If you go back to Exodus chapter 12, verse 38, it says a mixed multitude went up with them. A mixed multitude means there are other people beside Israelites in the multitude. So it doesn't define who they are. You could probably say some Egyptians, maybe some other people were made slaves in the, and they were put in with the camp of the Israelites and they all went out. It doesn't define who they were. We just know that more than Israel went out. It was a mixed multitude. But look at it says here. The mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. How many of you have ever yielded to intense craving? All right, let's give you some examples of this here. You're sitting at home, you're getting ready for a movie, and all of a sudden it hits you. We need to have pizza with this movie. Have you ever had that come, come upon you? Oh, I'll tell you what, I could go with a pizza right now. Oh, man. Or you just finished your meal, and you have an intense craving for ice cream or chocolate cake. Or something that just, something that you really enjoy, and all of a sudden it hits you, oh, I could really go for some of this. Some of you wake up in the morning with an intense craving for coffee. Is that not an intense craving? Not everybody has an intense craving for coffee. I do not have an intense craving for coffee. I'm more on the lines that I despise well, I abhor coffee. I would think that'd be a better description of it. I I don't like it. But whatever it is that you suddenly have an intense craving for, whether it be food, people, things, whatever it might be, an intense craving. All of a sudden, I've got to get the Best Buy and get that thing, whatever it might be. An intense craving came up. Is it wrong to have an intense craving? 
is it wrong to go out and get that pizza or order that ice cream? As far as we can tell. But look what it says here. The mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. They yielded to intense craving. Now, it is not a problem to have a craving. How many of you ladies who have ever been pregnant are glad for that? Because your body has intense, and I mean intense cravings. You must have, and they are the weirdest things, aren't they? Just strangest kind of combinations of things that you need to have. Uh, and you got to have it. Intense craving. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Your body is calling out for certain things that it wants or, or nutrition. There's, there's obviously nothing wrong with, with pursuing that. The intense craving is not the problem, nor is the yielding to the intense craving. The problem is how they responded. You see, this intense craving built up inside them so much that, and we still haven't gotten to the problem. The problem is not in this verse. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? Who will do it? They wept. They craved this thing so much that they wept. Have you ever wept for ice cream? <laughs> Have you ever cried for pizza? No. I mean, most of us don't ever have, I mean, we may really want something. Maybe a steak really sounds good right now. But our big screen TV, boy, am I craving a big screen TV. Oh, I just want to say, and we want to go out there and get the thing. There's a, there's a craving that we have for this thing. But uh, most of the time, we're not brought to tears. They wept. And I want to tell you something. This verse is selling short what they did. So now they sit back there and say, who will give us meat to eat. Who will do it? Who will give us? Now, I couldn't fit this in your outline. I put it in mine. But people who are always looking for someone else to do something for them are those least likely to be happy and satisfied. The people who are waiting for someone else to do something for them are the people that are least likely to be happy and satisfied. In fact, even if you get what it is that you're craving, you probably will not be satisfied. You see, the people who are happy and satisfied are the people who learn how to go get the things that they need. How to believe God for it, how to, how to pray, how to pursue what it is that they needed to do. Those are the people that will find happiness and satisfaction. Verse 5, we remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. How many of you remember the stories in the Old Testament of when they were as a slave? How many remember all the abundance of fish they have to eat? Does anyone remember a verse in the Scripture that said that they could have a, a fish without limit? That the Egyptians came and brought them all the fish that they could eat. Here, it's all you can eat night. All the mahi-mahi you can eat. Tomorrow is salmon. All the salmon you want to eat tomorrow night. And then after that, we are going to have whiting, flounder, bluefish, whatever it might be. Can you imagine that? They never did that, did they? But look at their memory. Remember the fish we ate freely? In Egypt, I didn't even get the idea that they were feeding them all that much in there. Just enough to keep them going, be able to work. The cucumbers. The melons. The leeks. I've never had a craving for leeks. I'm not even 100% sure what they are. But I know I've never wanted, never desired one. The onions. Now, I may like a few onions sautéed on a sauce or something like that. There is no way I ever crave an onion. In fact, if you bring me a salad with onions on it, I will pick every single one off. I will find it. I don't care how small you made it. I will find it and it will be vacated from my salad. I do not like onions on my salad. And garlic. Now, I like garlic. Garlic is good. I think some pizza is lacking in the garlic department. Have you ever had pizza that lacks in the garlic department? I want to smell and to taste the garlic when I eat a piece of pizza. 
You go into some places and is there even garlic in here? I don't know. We found one up by our house over in uh, Montgomeryville. And I walked in there for some reason, walked in there and got some pizza and brought it home. Holy cow. Oh, the garlic. Oh, the garlic. It's so good. And it was right near my mom's house. And so I told her about it. I might even be picking it up to bring it over there. It is so good. You can smell the garlic in the place. You can taste the garlic when you're eating this thing. And then she wrote me a note a few months later. Just a few months after we discovered this wonderful little pizza place, wrote me a note a few months later and said they sold such and such pizza. New owners, and it doesn't smell like garlic anymore. I said, oh. Never walked in there again. Never walked in there again. All right, you, you can understand this. This is not exactly what happened. But this is what they're remembering. This is what's coming up. Have you ever had a situation where you remember things better than they were? Sometimes you hear married couples, they talk about an old girlfriend or boyfriend they had and how good it was. That's because what's going on right now in their marriage isn't good. And we're going to think back to some of this other stuff. I always like to tell people, there was a reason you broke up. (laughs) Think back. There was a reason that you broke up. What was it? Sometimes we've got to remember. What was the reason that I broke up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, now I remember. Yeah, that wouldn't have been good. But you see, sometimes we forget that and we just remember the good stuff. There's a reason why they left Egypt. They're not remembering that right now because they haven't uh, enlisted the, the uh, intense craving that they have. And they want some meat. But now our whole being is dried up and there is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. When I read that statement, I think of, of um, Jacob and Esau. And Esau came in from the field and he said he was famished and... Uh, Jacob says, well, sell me your birthright. And he said, what good is my birthright if I die? He wasn't going to die. He was not going to die. He was, he was going to be just fine. I heard one preacher, they were talking about this story. I love the comment that they had on it. They said, um, they said if, if he was that hungry, all he had to do was go over to mama's house. That's all you got to do. Because you go over to mama's house, mama's got food. Mama will feed you. That's all you got to do. But he didn't do that. He stayed right there. And Jacob said, all right, you got to sell it to me, though. So he did. What good is the birthright if I die? So he wasn't dying. And these people are not dying either, just because they don't have meat. We still have not gotten to the problem. We will, though. Now, the, the manna... But now, our whole being is dried up, and there is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. That's the problem. The problem is not that they had a desire for something outside of manna. The problem is not that they gave into or yielded to intense craving and desire to have some meat beside the, the manna. That wasn't the problem. The problem was that they yielded to intense craving to a degree that it caused them to weep because they weren't getting what they wanted and they despised what they had. They were being given manna from heaven in the wilderness where there was no food otherwise and God every morning would rain down manna for them. Of course, six days out of the week, the seventh day, they were supposed to not collect it. It was going to be double. You remember all the the uh, rules that came along with that. But this fell down and it would last for the whole day. And they were only supposed to gather enough that they needed and the next day more would fall. So they had manna. But they despised it. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Now, the manna was like coriander seed and it's colored like the color of uh, whatever this stuff is. Uh, how do you even put a B and a D together? I don't, I don't know. But delium, we'll give it the best shot there. The people went about and gathered it, about uh, ground on the millstones to, or beat it in the mortar, cooked it in pans, made cakes of it. And its taste was like the taste of pastry prepared with oil. Now, you all remember... Now, somebody that I talked to you about uh, on occasion, my uh, the, the only singer 
that uh, really got me into music when I was young. And I still listen to him today, even though he's deceased and not there. But Keith Green. How many remember Keith Green? Keith Green does a song, and if you ever want to have a have a, a fun time with this, go up there and look out on YouTube or wherever you can is you listen to songs. And he does one. Um, so you want to go back to Egypt, and uh, listen to that song. He does some stuff in here with manna, and, uh, <laughs> and he starts talking about all the different foods that they made with manna. You know, banana bread, all sorts of stuff that he just put manna into into the word for. It's just kind of comical, and but he got the point across. Of what they were doing with this. So the people went about and gathered it, grinded it and so forth, made cakes of it, all that sort of stuff. In verse 9, And when the dew fell on the camp in the night, the manna fell on it. So this dew would be, be coming down. Now they are really okay. This manna is enough to keep them going. It's food from God. But we're going to see verse uh, 10. Let's read that one. And Moses heard the people weeping Throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses was also displeased. Then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent. How does Moses hear the people weeping, everyone at the door of his tent? How does he do that? I have a, I have a feeling... And this is a this is a guess on my part. I think it's right. We'll have to wait again till we get to heaven, but know for sure. I think Moses was walking through the camp. And every place he was going, here's a tent, people are crying. Where are they crying about? We want meat. Over here, crying, we want meat. Every tent he was going to, at the door, they're crying because they want meat. All of them. All of them. Crying. Because they want meat. Weeping. Now, if you're Moses, you're in charge of these people, and you're walking on through, weeping, weeping, because they don't have meat. Have you ever been irritated at someone's crying? Why are you crying? What, what are you crying for? Get irritated? Moses is walking on through here. He's getting irritated because everyone is crying because we don't have meat. Oh, poor babies. They feel like they're going to die if we don't get meat. Moses has got to be walking through here and just thinking, I eat the same things they eat. I'm not going to die. I'm not having any of this problem. What is wrong with these people? And the enemy is probably coming right in there and, and working on, on Moses and telling him, you are a terrible leader. Because the best that you have done with these people, they're crying because they don't have meat. Not just crying, weeping. The whole camp is tore up because you, as a leader, have not done sufficiently to keep them from being bothered by this or to supply them with meat or whatever it might be. And I'm sure Moses is hearing all kinds of words of inadequacy as to how he's doing as a leader as he's walking on through. Now, I think that because of the next verses. So, everyone at the door of his tent, the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Remember, he was mad last time? Now, it's greatly aroused. And Moses also was displeased. Now, who's more upset? It sounds like God's more upset. He is greatly aroused. Moses is... He's upset. He's upset. Displeased. Hmm. But the anger of the Lord is greatly aroused. It says Moses is... Say the word again. What is Moses displeased about? I get the idea from the story that God is angry at one thing and Moses is displeased at another. Read on to the next verse, verse 11. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? Do you think that Moses and God are on the same page? 
It does not sound like they're on the same page here. Mm. Moses is, is upset at what God has done to him. God is upset at what the people are despising. The thing that God gave him. Moses continues. Did I conceive all these people? Now you start saying, saying stuff like that. Did I beget them? That you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their... You swore. I didn't do it. This is not on me. I'm trying to help you out, God. Take these people to the land you promised them. It wasn't me who promised them. It was you. These aren't my people. They're yours. I didn't conceive them. You brought them into about. You can see they're not on the same page here, are they? I would definitely say they are out of sync. What is Moses doing? He is complaining. You can take the prophet that God himself said, you know what? I've never spoken to anyone like I speak to Moses. You can take that prophet and pull him out of sync. He can take, the enemy can take me and pull me out of sync. He can get you out of sync. Because I have not had face-to-face meetings with God. Moses did. Verse 13. Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep all over me, saying, Give us meat that we may eat. Does Moses provide bread for them? Has Moses provided water for them? God does it, doesn't he? Why is it all of a sudden Moses is now thinking, I have to do it? Because he got out of sync. How did he get out of sync? He's complaining. I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. Remember what we talked about a few weeks ago? Jesus said, my burden is easy. My yoke is is light. If I have a burden that is heavy, if I have a yoke that is not easy, I picked up the wrong one. Moses has picked up a burden he was not supposed to have. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. None of you have ever asked God to do that, have you? Life has gotten so bad, the burden is so heavy, you say, God, just take me now. It's too much. If you have, you can relate to where Moses is. If I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. In other words, if you like me at all, take me now. Get me out of this place. These people are terrible to be with. Here they all are crying and weeping and all this sort of stuff because they don't have meat. Just take me out now. I'm obviously doing no good here. He just wants to just wants to go on. Hmm. He became overcome by the senseless weeping of the Israelites. Understand this, just because you are complaining does not mean that you are the only one affected. The children of Israel getting into this complaining, despising of the things of God, this weeping over what they can't have has even had an effect upon someone like Moses. Verse 16, So the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people. In other words, I want you to get 70 of them that the people look at and say, These are people we go to. Get 70 of them and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that you may stand, that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take of the spirit that is upon you and will put the same spirit upon them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. Then you shall say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it is well, it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. And you shall eat not one day, not two days, not five days, not ten days, 
Not 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have despised the Lord who was among you and have wept before him saying, where or why did we ever come up out of Egypt? And God states what the problem is right now. You have despised what I have done for you. You've despised that I brought you up out of Egypt. You despised that I gave you manna. This manna. You've despised these things. And this is how I'm looking at this now. We've gone beyond complaining. We are now completely despising the blessings of God. If I didn't give you that before, that's your blank right there. Despised blessings. They complained about stuff and they despised blessings. Folks, we can, be, we can despise blessings as well. You look at some husbands and wives and they got married and they have a spouse and when they're first married, thank God for the gift of my spouse. And then a few years later, children are born into the family. And we say, glory to God, what a blessing this child is. And after a little while, maybe it's a year, maybe it's five years, whatever it is, after a little while, we look at them and we say, why did you give me these children? These rebellious, ungrateful unthankful, always needy children. We despise the blessing of God. God blessed you with a house and when you first got that house, glory to God, thank God for this house. I am so grateful for this house and after a while and some things don't seem to work in the house so well, we say, why did I ever get this house? This house has been nothing but a problem. We get a new car and that car comes in and we see it as a blessing from God. Thank God for the car that I have. Oh, I am so grateful for the car. Thank you, God, for giving me this car. I can get to work. I can be confident it's going to get me there. And not a year later, I hate this car. I despise this car. This car is not a blessing to me. This car is a thorn in the flesh. I hope this car dies. <laughs> this is... We can take what was a blessing from God and despise it. Despise it. And what does God look at when we do that? We get God's attitude right here. Why did we ever come up out of Egypt? You're telling me how good it all was? How many years did I hear you complain about it? How many decades did you plead for me? Get us out? Take us away? The children of Israel despised the blessing of God. Don't get to a place where you despise the blessing of God. Even if everything points to you and says you should despise this. Don't despise it. If you're single, don't despise being single. If you're married, don't despise being married. If you're without children, don't despise being without children. If you have kids, don't despise having them. If you have a cat, it's fine for you to despise that. <laughs> no, you can't despise that either. <laughs> when God has blessed you with something, don't ever lose sight that it's a blessing. Because the enemy will come in and there are, have been some friends in your life, there have been some people in your life that have been influencers, been helpful you, and for a while they were a blessing to you and then all of a sudden we look at that and say, I despise who they are, what they do. I don't like this. Don't despise the blessings of God. Always be grateful. Always be thankful. Otherwise, it does not go well. So Moses has a response. Verse 21. The people whom I am among 600,000 men on foot. Now, it's not 600,000 men only. He says, or people only. He says men. He's probably speaking about the men that are of the warring age. They're married. So if you have 600,000 men, you probably also have 600,000 wives. And we're not probably counting those that are retired. Not in service anymore. In the, as far as what the, the, the men are doing. And then you have the kids. And they had lots of kids. So if you had, just take the number 600,000 men, if each of them had a wife. And we're not counting the ones that are single. We're not counting the ones that are younger. If they each had, let's just give a low number on this. Let's say they had four kids each. 
And they did not have four kids each. They had more than that. But if they just had four, four kids each. Hmm. That's 600,000 times two. That's 1.2 million people right there. 600,000 times that by four. That's 2.4. 2.4 plus 1.2. That's a pretty high number, right? Most people estimate that the size of the children of Israel is somewhere between 2 and 4 million people. I'm sure that they use this verse as part of that number. Between 2 and 4 million people. Now think about this. God is saying, I am going to give you meat to eat that 2 to 4 million people will eat meat for an entire month. How much meat does it take to feed your family? For a month. And God is going to send it their way. In the wilderness. Where there's nothing around. Hmm. So the people whom I am among are 600,000 men on foot. Yet you say, you have said I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. What is Moses doing? Is he not doubting the ability of God? This is the same Moses who stood before the Red Sea, held a staff over it, and the Red Sea parted. The same Moses who did the same thing and closed the water on the army of the Egyptians. The same one who did the miracles of the ten plagues and turned all the water into blood. Called up locusts and frogs and gnats the sun was shut down and the firstborn of every Egyptian family who did not have the post covered in blood died. That same Moses who went out in the wilderness when there was no water and called it or struck it, struck the rock and it came out. Water came out from the rock. This is that same Moses who prayed to the Lord and God says, I will send bread down and feed all of these people with bread. That's the same Moses who now says to God, how can you get enough meat for all these people? Did something change on Moses' side? Had to have. You cannot get to a place where all those miracles are going through you. God is sending them through you. And now all of a sudden, you can't even see that God can bring them meat for a day, let alone for a month. Why can he not see it? Because he is not in sync with God anymore. Because complaining pulled him right out. Now the whole basis of this series was that what's on the inside needs to come out. God has put good things on the inside and he wants to bring them out, but there's also our flesh and the enemy wants to bring that out. Right now, bad things are being brought out of a good man because apparently they're still there just like they are in me and just like they are in you. And the enemy wants to find a way to get those bad things out and have them become dominant in your life. All right, let's keep on going here. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough meat for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? <laughs> now, can you see the sarcasm? God, we can go out into the oceans and get all the fish and that still won't be enough to feed them. Really? Really? But over in Egypt, they apparently had lots of fish. <laughs> so they said. But now all of a sudden, that's not going to happen. Hmm. And the Lord said to Moses, Has the Lord's arm been shortened? In other words, Moses, did something happen to me? Am I not the same God who spoke to you at the burning bush? Who took you over to Egypt? Did all those miracles? Miracles of the Red Sea? The miracles of the water at the rock? All the other ones? Am I not the same God? Has my arm suddenly become shortened? I can't do as much as I was able to before. Can you see that these two are not on the same page? <laughs> if you are not on the same page with God, who should change? You say that now. Who does Moses think ought to change?
Moses thinks God ought to change. I'm right. Can you imagine getting that way with God? Has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. (laughs) God is not happy with this, is he? So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took the Spirit, took of the Spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the Spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad and the name of the other was Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those listed, but had not gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So he calls 70. They're all supposed to go out to the tabernacle. 68 went to stay back in the camp. Why did they stay back in the camp? Why does the Spirit of God get poured out in this way? These are all great questions. We don't have time to get into them today. Someday maybe we'll come back and we'll visit the 70 elders. But anyway... uh, Two of them are named. The only two that we have named here are the ones who stayed behind. Do you get the idea that they stayed behind, that their staying behind was good or bad? Well, if God says to come out to the tabernacle and you stay in the camp, that's not good. But the Spirit of God still came down upon them. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of the choice men, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Then Moses said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses returned to the camp, both he and the elders of Israel. All right, a lot more in that. We're not going to be distracted by such good things that are there. We're going to keep on going here and and see what happens. Now a wind went out from the Lord and it brought quail from the sea and left them fluttering near the camp about a day's journey on this side and about a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp and about two cubits above the surface of the ground. Two cubits. That would be somewhere around that deep. For all this this space and about that deep. Now, I was going to do some, uh, I had plans to do all kinds of fun research as to how many quail actually showed up. But uh, the heater had other things in mind for my time here this morning. So if I uh, take an adventure and go after that, I'll, I'll check that out. It's just kind of a, one of those fun things to know. That's why I didn't spend time on it earlier. So about a day's journey on this side and about a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, about two cubits above the surface of the ground. That is a big square footage of quail that came in, that blew in. That is uh, uh, amazing. Now, if we were, if this were to happen today, people would probably be looking at this and saying, you are going to make quail an endangered species. And they would be all over Moses and God and the children of Israel for destroying this many quail. And now they're going to put them on the endangered species list. But apparently we still have quail today. Verse 32. And the people stayed up all that day all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. He who gathered least gathered ten omers. Now, I found a note on the ten omers. A ten, an omer is about six, an uh, uh, area of about 65 cubic gallons. So, if you were to take something around the area of a 650-gallon tank, that's the least someone gathered. That's not the most. That's the least. So picture something 650 gallons and, uh, and fill that up. That's the least. But it says here that they uh, stayed up all day. That all day they went after this thing. Once the, the wind blew these guys in, they worked all day to gather quail. Now, I don't know what is involved in gathering quail, but I imagine the quail are not dead yet. And so when you get the quail that's laying on the ground there, for some reason they fought the wind, and I guess they're tired and they can't go anywhere. I don't know what the deal is, but they're there on the ground. You grab them, you got to kill them, and, and then throw them into your, your collection thing. And they did this all day. Can you imagine going all day killing birds? 
Whole day. Killing birds. One after another. Just killing them. The whole day spending time killing birds. How many of you got done today? You'd be done killing birds. That's it. I don't want to be doing no more birds. Get rid of the birds. And then you stayed up all night. All night. After being at work all day, you stayed up all night. What would most of you have been doing at nighttime if you were up all day killing birds? You'd be tired. Going, I can't wait to get into bed tonight. Oh man, I am tired. They stayed up all night killing more birds. And then the whole next day, if you had a 24-hour shift at work, what would you be looking forward to once you got done that 24-hour shift? How many, anybody ever put in a 24-hour shift? I mean, 24 hours. A couple of people. 24 hours. Kept on working. After you get done that 24, you're just looking for, oh, I can't wait to just rest. I, I just want to go to sleep. Just rest for a while. And they decide, let's stay up for another 12 hours and kill us some more birds. So around 36 hours of non-stop killing birds until they finally get done with the killing of the birds and the gathering of, of birds for them. Whew. That's intense. Verse 33. But while the meat was still between their teeth. <laughs> now they, they didn't eat these things raw. Because that'd be you eating with meat with the blood and so forth, and they weren't allowed to do that. So they would have had to, you know, clean them and skin them and so forth and cook them. And after they got done cooking them and they, they're ready to eat them, and they're, they're eating them. Eating the quail. And they're probably saying, oh, we've been craving this for so long. Oh, finally, we get to have some meat, and they're just chewing and chewing and chewing. And God says, before they even got to swallow it, it's in their teeth. <sighs> No, I don't know, but if they're if they're like us, if you have never had a if you had not had a steak in months, years, have not had a steak, and all of a sudden you go out to your favorite steak place and you have them cook that beautiful steak, and you start cutting it up, and you can't wait for that first bite to get in your mouth, and that first bite gets in your mouth, how many of you chew it a little extra long? Just keep on chewing it. Oh, this is so good. Oh, just just chew it. Just chew it a little bit more. Oh, yeah, yeah. So God had some time. It wasn't like he only had seconds. They're just going to chew a little bit and then swallow it. He had some time. They're in there chewing it and chewing it and chewing it and then getting ready to swallow it. And all of a sudden, God says, that's it, man. I am tired of you guys. While the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people. And the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. So he called the name of that place Kibroth Hatava. I hope I did that all right. Because they uh, there they buried the people who had yielded to craving. From that place the people moved to Hazaroth and camped at camped at Hazaroth. Now that name Kibroth Hatava means graves of craving. That's why they called it that. Because they buried people there. So whatever the plague was, they apparently didn't even, it hit them so hard, they didn't have time to swallow what was in their mouth. They just died. That's pretty intense, isn't it? Pretty intense. We've covered two things here. We've got more to cover. Two things. These things will get you out of sync with God, even if you are someone like Moses. The first thing, the first is about things. Because if I complain, I'm generally complaining about things. I'm complaining about people. I'm complaining about things that happened or don't. I didn't write all this in your out. You can write them in there if you want to. First is about things, things that happen or things that don't. Things that are unpleasant or undeserved. Isn't this what we mostly complain about? I don't deserve them to treat me that way. I deserve them to pay me more money at my job. Oh, I don't like that at all. Oh, why did they do that? Can't believe that they didn't do that for me. They should have done that for me. Why didn't they do that for me? And we can begin to complain. 
The second is to take what we have been given and to stop seeing it as a blessing. In fact, we begin to despise it. If you fall into any of these two things, complaining about things that happen or don't, things that are unpleasant or undeserved or whatever other kind of thing to get your complaining motor going, whatever it might be, you will instantly be out of sync with God. Because if Moses cannot complain to God about things that I don't think any of us could blame him for, then how about us? Again, what are we supposed to do always? Rejoice, not complain. Don't complain. Every time we see complaining people in the Word of God, every single time we see people complaining in the Word of God, it is not good. You can go back through and think of some of those. In the second area, despising the blessings. God has given you blessings. Don't compare your blessings with somebody else's blessings. Well, God blessed them with a bigger house than me. Well, God blessed them with a newer and better car than I have. Well, God blessed them with better kids than I've got. Well, that person has a better spouse than I have. Well, how'd that person get blessed with a spouse and I haven't been blessed with one? You see, it gets that comparison game going. And I compare my situation with somebody else. And the enemy is always willing to bring somebody else along who's got something bigger, something better, something more desirable than what you have. And he will sow this in your head. Why don't you have that too? Why do you not have that as well? Think back to David's story. And I love the quote that I had heard from a minister. I kept the, uh, the quote is always in my head. It's one of those quotes I, just, I can never get out. But remember David had a bear came try and come and get the, the lamb and he killed it. He had a lion try and come and get his lambs and he killed the lion. And now some of us would be up there and we could be complaining. God, why did you allow a lion to come upon my sheep? Why did you allow a bear to come in my my way. But I love the quote I heard about this that uh, you may remember because I've quoted it before. If there are lions and bears in your present, it is probably, or it's possibly, because there are giants in your future. See, there weren't bears and lions in other people's lives. David didn't have buddies who had lions and bears in their life. But they also weren't people who were going to face a giant. And the lions and the bears may seem insurmountable, but they're getting you ready for the giants that are coming. And if David sat and complained about the lions and the bears, he wouldn't have gone out and killed them. And when he came and he faced the giant, remember in the story with David, when he told his parents about the lions and the bears, what what did his parents do? They despised the story. They saw it as a tale he's making up. And they despised David even more. But when David approached Goliath, when he approached Saul, and he was telling him on the fact that I can take care of this, what does he go back to? He says, your servant faced a lion and I killed it. And I faced a bear And I killed it. And I love the words of David. David says, And I will do to this uncircumcised Philistine the same thing. See, he was prepared. If we sit around and complain about all the bears and lions in our life, we will not be made ready for the giants. And I won't be ready to be a giant slayer. If I spend time complaining about what has happened what I think might happen, what I think should happen, what I don't have, what other people have, if I spend time complaining about all these things, I am not going to get what I need to get from those experiences to prepare me for whatever is in my future. When I face a giant or whatever it is, I will find myself completely unprepared. Would you all stand up for me?
morning. It is our communion Sunday. Sunday we celebrate what Jesus did on the cross for us. When Jesus was growing up, we don't get a whole lot of the stories that were in his life, but I'm sure that he faced situations. I'm sure he faced temptations. I'm sure he faced battles. I'm sure he faced problems. But what we do know is that he didn't spend time complaining about all these things. He addressed the problems and he kept rejoicing in the Lord. And so when it came time that he went into the wilderness and he had that time with God and he got done with the 40 days of fasting and then the devil comes along to him and tempts him, he is well able to stand up against the temptations that came his way. And every time the enemy came and tried to tempt him, because the word of God does say, that he went away to look for a more opportune time. So he probably came back and tried to tempt Jesus again. We know that in the garden, he was tempted to go a different way than God's way. But he said, not my will, but yours. And we never found out what his will was. But he went along with God's. Because he was prepared, he was ready. And that temptation to back out of doing what God said to do, It didn't pull him down. There are many situations we face and we complain or we despise the blessings that God has given us. And all we're doing is taking ourselves out of play for something greater down the road. We're getting ourselves out of sync with God so that our words do not match the words of God. And just like Moses, we find ourselves on the opposite end of where God is. Don't let yourself get there. As we partake of communion today, let's remember the work that Jesus did. He did not give in to temptation. He didn't fall away from this. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, before supper began, he took the bread and he broke it. He passed it around to his disciples. And he said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. That on the body of Jesus Christ was put our sickness, our disease, our pain. As we eat together, let's remember what the body of Jesus Christ did for us. After supper, he took the cup put a whole meal in between the two elements. He took the cup and he says, this represents the blood of the new covenant. The blood of the new covenant, his blood, is shed for us for the remission of sins. That our lives will be redeemed, bought back. There's nothing we need to add. His body does not do this for you. His blood does. His body had another function. Removing the curse. Taking away our sickness and disease but his body was said that there's nothing more we have to do everything's been done and the price has been paid as we drink together let's remember the work that Jesus did glory to God Father we thank you that even if up until this day we have found ourselves in situations where we have complained and where we, we have despised the blessings of God. We have walked out of sync with you. Just as quickly as we got out of sync, we can get back in sync. That the good things that you have put in us are brought out instead of the flesh ones that the enemy wants us to dwell on. Thank you, Father. You are making us into the vessels that you have called us to be. We're ready to hear from you, to be in sync with you, and to speak the word that you have put on the inside of us. Give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sister Marguerite, come on.
Good morning, uh, church family. We thank God for uh, those of you who are worshiping with us here in the sanctuary and all of those who are online uh, worshiping with us as well. We thank God for all of you. And um, I'm so grateful for how the Lord ministered to us through the worship. It, um, and I probably would say that each week, but it, it blesses my spirit, and I'm sure it blesses each and every one of you. Um, and then we had the teaching of the word and uh, telling us don't despise the blessing of God. And we don't want to be out of sync with what God has for us because uh, the enemy can just wreak havoc in our lives if we do that. So uh, thank you, Pastor, for that teaching. And um, there's a scripture in Psalm 105. Uh, the first verse, it says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. And uh, when we give our praise reports, um, we are calling upon his name and we are uh, sharing and making known the deeds that he has done among the people. And that leads us into our praise reports this morning. We have a praise report from Pastor Steve and Miss Connie. Uh, a very large tree section came down uh, in the high winds, but it missed damaging anything. So we praise God for that. It fell right uh, near the house, but it didn't damage the house. So we thank God for that. And um, Candy has a praise report. Um, she says she was at her bank Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and the teller, uh, she and the teller were just uh, chit-chatting about what they were going to do for Thanksgiving. And um, the teller told her that she was having one dinner uh, here at home, and then she was flying to Florida on Saturday um, to be with the rest of her family. And Candy says, um, as she was walking to the door, the Lord told her to go back and um, pray for this young lady. So they had prayer, and the person was so thankful. And Candy is saying that we should always listen to that still, small voice. And uh, in so doing, we won't go wrong. And we say amen. Brother Darrell is saying, uh, as a praise report, God has been expanding his sphere of influence. And um, that influence is a godly influence. So we're so grateful, and we praise God with him for that. So um, we thank God for each and every one of you, and we just hope that you have a, rest, a wonderful rest of your day.